2: Here's where the fun begins. Let's make this a bit more interesting. You've
0: taken your first step into a larger world. The
2: garbage will do! Nothing will stand in our way. May the void be made.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Twin Sons Outpost Book Club Podcast. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, joined as always by Amanda D'Afonso. Hey, everyone. And by Jesse Sanfilippo. Hey, guys. On this episode of the Twin Sons Book Club Podcast, we're going to be talking about Force Collector by Kevin Shinnick. And uh, this one, guys, was part of our journey to the rise of Skywalker. This was our third book in the journey to the rise of Skywalker. And uh, to be honest, I mean, this one didn't really have as much to do with like the main characters at all from... Uh, what we got to see in the movie, you know, Poe and Ray and Finn and and all them. Um, but, Jesse, I guess we'll start with you. What did you think of just, like, the outline of the book? Um, it was a, basically a linear story. We didn't have a major villain, um, and we – pretty much every chapter was about Carr.
2: Yeah, I really loved this book, um, and I honestly think it does have to do with the fact that there were – no main characters, like you said, with like Ray and, and Poe and those guys. Cause I feel like in, in novels, because you know, for, for our main characters, the movies are their like main story, all of their most exciting things and big reveals that all happens in the movies. So when we get books about those guys, there's just like little filler side stories that don't generally have, you know, as epic of a plot line. So for me, this book with all new characters was just like a really, really fun adventure. I, I just love that they're able to delve deeper into these characters than they usually in Poe because, you know, they're saving so much of their story for the, for the movies. Um, but I just thought this book was really fun. I really love um, loved getting to go on Carr's journey with finding himself within the Force so I, I thought it was great. I, I really thought it was a really fun adventure, and it's probably one of my favorite ones we've read uh, so far, besides, I think, second to uh, Black Spire.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Outpost, whatever that one was called. Yeah, <laughs> Galaxy's Edge Black Spire. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, this was... It was great because I really connected with Carr on a lot of levels. Um, And we'll get into that as we continue to talk about these certain characters. But this dude literally kind of didn't really like school and felt like there was more for him out there, you know, with this whole like Jedi quest that he was on. And he loves collecting things. And he even has like a little catalog book that he keeps track of everything and stuff. So it was like, hey. That would be me if I was in Star Wars.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds familiar. Um, For me, I really enjoyed the story, and I liked all the... My favorite part had to be all the Easter eggs that we got um, relating to other parts of the Star Wars universe and all the different places he traveled, all the different objects that he touched and had memories of. Like that for me was super, super enthralling and of course, um, we'll get into it later, but the uh, hologram that he found, mm-hmm. that was like a big freak out moment for me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I like put down my book and screamed. Oh.
2: <laughs> I was exciting.
0: so excited. <laughs> um, and I loved that they accurately portrayed two teenagers. Like, yes. For me, that was huge. I'm like, they are not making them into adults. They are acting like teenagers. They are impulsive. They are silly. Their their insecurities are blatant, and their growth is really interesting to watch. So, yeah. yeah so
2: <laughs> so much teenage angst. I yes. loved it. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: let's start talking about some of these new characters that we get. So this book follows the main character. His name is Car Nuxin. Um, and they are on this planet called Marokia, which I believe this is the first time that we've ever seen that planet. Um, but he has a friend and his friend's name is Maisie Rainshi. Um, and they meet, of course, like, you know, outside of the principal's office, essentially, just because they're both misfits. Um, but if you think, and I, I noticed this more with, with Maisie, um, you know, if you think about what the history of her life was like, you know, she came from a military family. Her dad works in the First Order, and so they're always moving. He's always getting reassigned to go somewhere else. Um, and, you know, she doesn't really have that connection with her mother that she, you know, that that her mother wants and that she feels like. She's she's mixed, so her mom is Mary Allen, her dad's human, and so, you know, there's obviously some... some um, reasons that there's no there's not a, a connection a stronger connection with her mother um she refused to get like a tattoo like all the mary allens have um and so this causes her to be kind of destructive you know we see her just kind of causing problems and of course even with Carr, the first time that you know we see him get in trouble he's etching his name into the bench you know so they're they're literally just um these two teenagers that that uh you know really needed each other i think
0: Yeah, they spent a lot of the book kind of building their own family because I feel like a lot of the secrets in Carr's household and the army brat mentality in Maisie's definitely led them to feel like they needed something more and like there was something at home that wasn't being fulfilled on that level.
2: And that's just so true to being a teenager, Just in general, no matter, I feel like, what your home life is is like, I feel like at that age, your friends do so much for you as you're growing into, like, an adult, that that's what, I think that's just where, generally, teenagers tend to land at that age, is their friends are so, so important to them, and no matter who their parents are or Mm -hmm. what their parents say, they're wrong, and they (laughs) are gonna go against them, so I thought... I I loved that relationship with her and Carr. Teenagers
0: are forever misunderstood, and the only person that understands them are their friends. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) But I think it's even more so you know, visible with these two, because they, if you think about Carr, right, so he didn't really have any friends at all. In fact, we see him getting bullied at the beginning of the book, and he states, I think, multiple times, that the reason why he built RZ-7 was to be a friend to him you know, was yeah. to be his best friend. And um, if you think about Maisie, like, she's constantly moving. She doesn't have time to, like, develop these strong relationships. And when she was creating that list uh, that we hear about at the end of the book, uh, toward the end of the book, all she wants is that connection, you know. And so I think when you get the two that have come from these pasts where they don't really have a lot of friends and then you kind of throw them together, um, you know, it, it, even takes, it takes Maisie a little while to fully trust in, in the cause and in the quest that Carr is going on. She just wants an adventure with somebody, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it was kind of cool to see that relationship develop over, over time.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, they kind of healed each other in their own way and like allowed them to deal with their own individual family lives in in a more adult way, and that was just because of their friendship. They, like, made each other stronger as time went on.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a couple more characters that I want to discuss, but I feel like we should kind of go into a few other things, and then I'm sure by, while we're talking about those things, we'll get to some of these other characters. Um, but one I want to talk about, uh, or a couple key points that I want to talk about, is the galaxy viewpoint on the Jedi. So we know that during the time of the Clone Wars and everything that we see from the movies that the Jedi... There's a bunch of Jedi, right? There's an entire council. We see a bunch of them go to Geonosis, hundreds of Jedi. Um, and I think, like I said, in um, one of our book club discussions that Kanan, I'm pretty sure, when he's talking to Ezra at one point, says that there are 10,000 Jedi knights roaming the galaxy during the time of the Clone Wars, which is kind of a lot. But if you think about it in relation to, like, you know, how many people are on Earth. And um, I did, like, the the math on this, and that is, you know, we have 7.3 billion people on Earth, but if you think think about Coruscant, um and I looked this up too, there are a trillion people on Curaçao, so that is a ton of people. Um, so the odds are that unless you're literally like, you know, you live right by the Jedi Council, you're not gonna find a Jedi. You know, in, in your lifetime, it would be super, super rare to come across a Jedi. Which is why, um, you know, we see with with Rey in The Force Awakens, she thought the Jedi were myths. And, you know, Han, obviously, throughout his time as a smuggler, doesn't think that they're real until he comes across Luke. And then here we have, you know, Maisie is, uh, it takes a little bit of convincing for her to start believing Carr that the Jedi are actually real.
2: Yeah, and we got, like, every single side, I feel like, every single viewpoint we could have gotten on, you know, various people's idea of what the Jedi are or what they became, um, which I thought was really cool, all the different view- viewpoints we got, um, especially the the clone trooper, was he like a clone trooper's son, mm-hmm. I believe, or, or grandson, I don't remember, but I, that was really interesting to me, especially because his and whole Udapal. viewpoint was... Yeah, his mm-hmm. whole viewpoint was that the Jedi were awful and the clones were right to put them down, and I just thought that was cool to get like a viewpoint from. He was basically a clone's point of view of how it all went down. There's so many different sides that I feel like it's just it's pulling that that question that I've always had about Star Wars, where it's like how did people how did people just forget the Jedi? Mm-hmm. It just it really it really made that more understandable i guess if that makes sense yeah definitely
1: mm-hmm. now we also have something that i thought was really interesting and i feel like this explains a lot um as far as some of the other characters that we get in star wars and that is the force and how its purpose for certain people are different so you might have somebody like Carr here and you know he really goes through a decent amount of growth between the beginning of the book and the end of the book But um, I feel like his interaction with Maz Kanata on Takodana really shed a lot of light on um, what the Force's purpose for some people are. Some people, you could be Force-sensitive and become a Jedi. And you could be on the Council and take a lightsaber and go to war and be a peacekeeper. And then other people, you have Maz who, you know, the Force flows through Maz Clearly, And she sees a lot of things, and she's been around, and she knows things. And then, you know, you have Chirt Imwe, who obviously has some sort of connection. Mm -hmm. And we have Carr here, who's Force-sensitive, and he has this psychometry ability. But he's never going to be a Jedi. That's not his role in the galaxy, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think that was really kind of cool to see that addition and that explanation from Kevin.
0: It gives us a lot more leeway for... Ways in which the force can manifest.
2: I had I had some questions about, about that though. Is like I get that everybody it works differently, and everybody and and Maz isn't you know force sensitive in the way that like Ray is force sensitive. But psychometry is such like a huge power, like a huge force power.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: Is car you know never going to be able to you know move objects and become a jedi just because he doesn't have someone to t- train him in those specific things or is this just his one and only ability that he has and he just it's impossible for him to do you know other force powers or force abilities
0: i don't think it would be impossible but i also don't think it's it, it that it, he's not fated to have that purpose. That's not where his path is going to take him.
1: I don't think he was ever going to be able to do it. Um, just personally, I, I think like in some of the legends books, you have this guy named Corin Horn and, and, you know, he has this ability to like use a force absorb thing where he can like absorb energy. And that was it. Like even through his training, it was super hard for him to like move a little pebble. You know, and just because certain Jedi have certain abilities that are stronger than most. Some are experts at, you know, uh, Jedi mind trick and that's their thing. And I, I, you know, I think for, for Carr, it was very clear with his language to me that it seemed like he didn't, he was never going to be able to do anything else. And this was his thing. But, you know, I, I I don't know for sure, but, um, you know, we've seen some other Jedi that are able to you know, they use that psychometry, but then they also are full Jedi Knights and they can go off and do whatever they want. Um, but I think, you know, heeding Maz's wisdom and basically saying like, this is not your path. You are not destined to be a Jedi type thing. I think that was kind of what told me that, okay, he's, you know, even at the end of the book, he's like, I am here to explain things to people. I'm here to, you know, share my information, like more so than throw boulders at people with the force.
0: You no, know, he's their memory. he's their living mm-hmm.
2: memory yeah that's it that's cool. I like that i I love that it it makes like you said like it, jedi are very rare is what we've come to start to realize how rare it is to come across a jedi, but it's cool that the fourth sensitivity isn't necessarily as rare as mm-hmm. we once thought it was. if yeah. that makes sense,
1: yeah. So, Well, let's start talking about the Force and its presence in this book. So, um, Carr's grandmother, Jahara, and she was, she was really cool. Um, I really liked some of the flashback scenes that we got, or like when Carr would go to sleep and he'd dream about his grandmother and all the scenes that we got with that. And to be honest, I had sort of a, a Rogue One feeling when he opened up the holocube and it was that message from his grandmother and it was basically telling him, you know, this was her loophole. She wasn't allowed to tell Carr anything about, you know, his his great grandfather and all that until the day she died. And now she's dead, and so now she can tell him. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I loved it, and it, it very much reminded me of like the Galen or so message to Jin about, you know, I love you, and this is this is what I've done, and I've done this to protect everybody, and you know. Um, it didn't have the same weight, but it was kind of reminding me of that. Mm-hmm. But she clearly, um, you know, knew that her her father, right? Yeah, it was her father. Um, and we get to see him at the end of the book. His name is Nachmed. Is that how it was pronounced? Yes. Nakmed. That was. Okay. And so he was a Jedi that left the Order prior to the Clone Wars, and he settled down with a woman and... And then, um, you know, felt like he needed to go into hiding just by association. You know, he had the Force. Clearly, he kept his lightsaber. Clearly, he had his Jedi robes, as we see at the end of the book. Um, And so I think that was a really impressive sacrifice on his part to save his family like that. Just to kind of go off in hiding and not, you know, have them around. Um, So what did you guys think of, like, the the addition of Nakmed and Jahara in this book?
0: I thought it was great because they were kind of... Jahara was there to push Carr forward and to help him find his path and his adventure, and Nakmed was the climax of that journey. Um, he, he was there to allow car to come to terms with everything and to help his grandfather and or great grandfather in turn come to terms with the reality of how the clone wars ended and the fact that he had not wasted his years as a jedi and he doesn't need to turn his back on them that you know this script was wrong
2: so that he could you know leave in peace yeah, and Jahara for me just even even within her name reminded me of like Jacosta New mm-hmm. where she was just mm-hmm. kind of passing on, you know, archival information um, which is cool because that is also now what Carr has taken upon himself as his role in the Force is to be that that historian of the Force basically. Um, I thought that was interesting like that relation to their names there, Jahara and Jacosta. Um, and then with Nakmed, he's like a unique, you know, Jedi survivor. We've never seen a Jedi survivor that actually believed that the Jedi were in the wrong. Yeah. Um, so that was a different point of view, and it was really sad. This, I mean, if mm-hmm. you think about it, the whole end of this book, while it's like really exciting, um, that it, how everything turned out, it is kind of a sad ending. It was a little heartbreaking. Yeah, Nachman never knew, you know, until the very end that the Jedi were actually, you know, not horrible people.
1: (laughs) And as soon as Um, he found out, he died.
0: He was like, all right,
2: (laughs) I can be at peace now. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Right, and so then Car's like, only connection now. Gets taken away from him. It's like a serious black moment. It's like you have your one and only hope, and then it's gone. Mm. And then... And then I just thought it was kind of sad that he, like, just still went off to trade school, even though, like, yes, he's going to, you know, continue his collection and, and be that, you know, Jedi Archive, but he's just kind of going to trade school, and it's going to be, like, his side hobby. I thought it was just well, yeah. kind of a sad ending. So
1: <laughs> let's talk about that a little bit. Um Let's talk about like so essentially Carr is taking on this viewpoint of like, hey, you know, no path is set in stone. This is a lesson that I feel like is kind of realistic. I mean, you know, for a lot of us, we have an idea and this really resonates with me because I obviously have a place where I want to be with my career and, you know, you take steps to get to that point but really nothing is set in stone. And that doesn't mean that I have to have that certain career for my life and that's the only way to go. Nothing's set in stone. The next steps are part of the journey. So, you know, I thought it was cool and it's it sort of related to like, you know, the the glass of milk that Moz had, right? So you have that milk and if you tip it to certain sides, okay, then it's always gonna be balanced, but you don't necessarily have to be the milk, you can be the glass. And so I think, you know, Setting your own path is great, and having places where you want to be is great, but you never know what life's going to throw at you, and sometimes it's best to just take the next step and see where you go.
2: hmm um, I love that.
1: Yeah. I also want to talk a little bit about – we talked a little bit about friendship and stuff like that, but if you think about it, this is really a main theme of this book. Her list – Maisie's lists of wants and needs, we talked about this. She just wants that connection – um, the importance of family and friendship. And if you think about, you know, Maisie's conversation that she had with her parents. Now, granted, she was just trying to get what she wanted to get. She wanted to get her way. But I did like that conversation. It was, you know, she was just laying, laying everything out on the table for her parents and she was able to convince them. And, you know, I really do feel like Maisie grew a lot too. And, you know, by the end of the book, she wants to get a tattoo and learn more about her. Muriel and, you know, history and culture. And, um, you know, I think trying to create that connection with her mother is something that I really, I really can commend, uh, Maisie for.
2: Yeah. I feel like she really learned to empathize, you know, with her parents instead of just being mad at them for the way her life has gone thus far, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, she really, she really grew. She empathized with them, and I just think she started. She just, it's just them kind of coming into their own and becoming adults throughout this book, really.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And her tattoo that she's gonna get means friendship, which is yeah.
2: awesome.
1: Despite Carr wanting it to say Car on it. <laughs> <laughs> Which would also be something that I would do. Like, our friends just had a baby, and I was like, if you want, you can name it Eric. Like, oh, I'm going to get a tattoo. Great. My name starts with E. Oh, dear. (laughs) Yeah. One other thing. So we talked a little bit about Maisie and her relationship with her parents. But let's talk a little bit about Carr and his relationship with his parents. And... You know, it's it's always that fine line, and we you can go back to episode four with this when Luke is talking to Obi Wan about Vader, and Obi Wan's like, "Oh yeah, Vader betrayed and murdered your father," and you know all this stuff, and and uh, kind of like lying by not telling the whole truth, and so here we have Carr's parents that basically made him think that he had this like massive like medical issue his whole life. And granted, they didn't know for sure that he was a Jedi or that he was Force-sensitive or whatever, but, you know, you have his grandmother that's really trying to nurture this, this kid and and help him with his, his abilities. And you have the parents that are basically like, no, nah, let's take you to a special hospital and see if they can figure out what's wrong with your head. You know? So, do you guys think that Carr's parents should have told him the truth sooner?
0: I think that they did what they thought was safest for him at the time but that doesn't necessarily make it the right choice and i think that as a parent
2: that's the hardest choice to make yeah i think they definitely made a mistake like i i do understand that they just wanted to be certain that it wasn't a medical issue but i mean the poor kid had to live in fear that he was dying for half of his life and feeling crazy and feeling crazy. Like, yeah, it just definitely. Yeah. They did not have a very redeemable uh, story for his parents. And if you notice, he did not, you know, repair his relationship with his parents the way that Maisie uh, was able to make steps with hers. It kind of just was like, yeah, you guys just messed up everything. Thanks for that. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go and follow my true path now. <laughs>
1: but you know what? Carr Car was being the adult in that situation. He was like, "My parents want me to do this. I'm going to do it. Even though it's not necessarily what I want, I'm just going to take the next step and see where the force guides me, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he was being, he was being the bigger person there, which was pretty cool. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the Easter eggs, guys. So we got a lot of Easter eggs in this book, uh, whether it be like items or planets. Um, Just to name off a couple, we went to Utapau and saw Tian Medon's staff. We went to Takodana and, of course, saw Maz's castle and Luke's Yavin medal, which she actually thought was Han's until Carr told her that it was Luke's. Um, We get Jakku and the Falcon. They go aboard that. That, that ship and um, Carr finds the, the training remote underneath the, the Jar holo chess table. Uh, we go to Batuu and we get to see Doc Ondar's Den of Antiquities. And by the way, if you go to Doc Ondar's Den of Antiquities, you can actually see a Jedi Temple Guard mask, which is really awesome because that is the one that uh, Carr touched and you know went through the whole vision thing there, which was awesome. We got Kijimi... Um, the Moon of Ob- Ob- Obadiah and then sifo Um, We just got a ton of Easter eggs in this book. So what, what do you guys think were some of your favorites?
0: Definitely the sifo um mm-hmm. hologram. Yeah. That, I, like I told you guys at the beginning, I literally put down the book and I was like, shut the front door. <laughs> No way!
1: We finally got to well, see Saifodius's message.
0: We got to see deus's message, and we got confirmation that he actually did order the clone army,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it wasn't yeah. Duku posing as Cyphodius, And I was like, "What?
2: Yeah, my that mind is, is blown." <laughs> that is in all caps in my notes. Is that he actually ordered what? the clone army? Yeah. I always thought for sure that it was Dooku like it just using him as an alias and that Dooku like killed him off just so he could like use him or something. I feel but... like
0: that was the collective of the fandom at this point up until this yeah. book. And knowing what we know from Dooku a couple of months ago in book club, we also know that Saifo has all of these visions and he had a vision of the war and the necessity of this clone trooper army. And he act like what? <laughs> yeah. Seriously,
1: but then I think I think somehow, because a lot of people thought that even the Kaminoans in you know Clone Wars when we get to there and we get to season six of Clone Wars um, when we see Silman, remember Silman, the the aide to the Chancellor at the time, mm-hmm. uh, Chancellor mm-hmm. Valorum, and they mention him in this book, um, and he, Silman says to Anakin and Obi Wan that you know the order was placed by somebody who wanted to be Cypho Diaz. So, I mean, someone was kind of cuckoo, cuckoo bananas when we saw him in, in <laughs> Season 6 of Clone Wars. Um, and even with the Kaminoans, they basically mentioned that Tyrannus was sort of like the ringleader behind everything. So I think, I mean, they, the Kaminoans knew that Django Fett was a clone template and Tyrannus ordered a clone Army to be made from Dooku or from Django. So I don't know what role Tyrannus actually played and what role Siphodeus played. I mean, clearly Siphodeus placed the order, but like at what point did we have a dead Siphodeus and then Tyrannus actually sort of pulling the strings with that, you know?
0: And there's nothing to say that Dooku and Siphodeus didn't both have knowledge when Cypho Sifo- Went to do this
2: yeah honestly I could imagine...
0: have still been on good terms at that point he yeah. could have put that order in pre-fall pre-dooku's fall which means dooku may have been
2: um party to this all along <laughs> that's what that's what i was thinking is that maybe dooku had you know already left the jedi order but wasn't quite dark Side yet and Sipho had this, you know, vision and took it to the council. They did not want to take him up on it, and he called his best friend mm-hmm. for advice. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and, well, do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember where Dooku Jedi Lost left off? The state of Saifo deus's mind, he was not all there. like no. he was kind of nutty
2: at just that point. just a little. Yeah. Right, so they probably, you know, rightfully, not rightfully so, but understandably so, didn't take him seriously for that reason. He used a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. That's okay, though. Yeah. It's a hard, hard life.
0: <laughs> Poor buddy.
1: Anytime we get info on Doc Ondar's and Batuu, I love it. Just having been there, and Doc Ondar's was, like, my favorite place to go while I was there. Um That was super awesome. And we got to find out a little bit more about Maz's castle acting as a Jedi compound with catacombs below it, which I thought was pretty interesting.
2: That gave me the willies a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) But she's like the epitome of balance. Like, she lives in the epitome of balance. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I loved that whole part with Maz and the fact that she actually said that she has her own sensitivities and she just basically outright said that she's, you know, force sensitive in some way. Um, I, I love that she was like his, his, you know, little Jedi teacher of, of what it means to, to be balanced because his conversations with Maz is when he truly started to be able to get a little bit more control um, with his headaches and his abilities. So yeah, I feel like that I, was I definitely that. a
1: turning point for him. How do you guys think the story would have changed had Maisie not been pulled away by her father toward the beginning of the book? What if what if Maisie went with him on all of his adventures?
0: I don't know that he would have gotten as far as he did. I think that he needed to experience some of those things on his own, especially in finding his balance.
2: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're all like staring at the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, no, no, I don't know. I kind of wondered to myself what, for a while, when I was reading it, what the purpose of losing Maisie was. Mm-hmm. Um, because I loved them together so much. It, it was a bummer um, to have them be separated. But I guess it's, I, I wonder if it's to, to kind of look into the family of a First Order You know officer you know can we really trust them? like are all people in the first order bad just kind of like all people you know in the empire weren't all necessarily bad they all just kind of believed false you know drank the kool-aid essentially so like i think we kind of got to see that you know while the first order is a bad organization that you know just because of that that doesn't make you know their families and everyone bad people we had to put some doubt in there is Maisie giving Information to the first order and we got to see that she essentially wasn't and I wonder if you guys actually do you think that her dad? Because she doesn't believe that her dad told on him She believes that there was like an interception.
1: Yeah, that's what I think I don't think that Maisie would lie about that.
2: No, and I don't I think I she lied, but Right, I don't I don't think she lied, but I wonder if she is under like a false impression. Like like does she just she, it's her dad, so she wants to believe that he's like a good guy, but he's also a first order officer. So was it really intercepted or did he report what his daughter told him? I
0: don't know that he reported it so much as I wonder how private any conversation he has is because he's for his first sure. order because we don't know how much they like the first order knows and how much they're looking into their own first order families
1: the other thing i thought right. that was interesting was that so toward the end of the book when she's trying to convince you know her parents to let her take the ship again and everything and she comes back and whatever and um, you know, she's saying that she wants to get a tattoo and, you know, her mom is Allen and so she's half human, half Allen, But we know that the First Order, they don't, they do not employ people that aren't human. It's much like the Empire. Now, granted, we've seen a couple instances with like Glenna Kipp from uh, Spark of the Resistance where she wasn't necessarily even part of the First Order. She was just sort of like a scientist that was hired by the First Order to help out. Um, but they're basically, like, her dad was basically like, yeah, you can, you know, help and become, like, a an intern with flying for me or something like that. It's like an intern for the First Order with Mirielle and tattoos on her face. Like, I don't know how that's going to go. But it would be interesting, like, where does the First Order draw the line, you know, as far as, like, only having humans? Because I thought about that as well.
2: Right, and I wonder what, like, the same way we got to see all the different climates of, like, how people feel about the Jedi and and what their opinions and and ideas are of the Jedi, I'd like to know more about, you know, the general climate on people's feelings on the First Order because there was a clear winner of the war, and I feel like that would have came out with a lot of information about how twisted and bad, you know, Palpatine really and truly was. And now this new order comes up Like, it seems to me to be different than the times of the Empire. Because there was was a lot of lying and things going on with the Empire that it would be understandable that people would, there would be some people out there that would think that they were a good organization. But to me, the First Order just seems just intrinsically and unarguably just bad. The weird thing is,
1: though, that, you know, like you said, it'd be interesting to find out what the consensus from the people was. But Carr didn't seem to really care that much.
2: No, he didn't. And, and it was just, like, normal for, you know, there to be a kid at school whose dad's in the first order, like, and that, you know, nobody, he wasn't, like, afraid of them. Even though he has these forced sensitivities, like, he wasn't even, like, afraid that he'd be caught in that sort of a way, you know? Like, yeah. it's it wasn't openly known or anything that they're out, like, looking for jedi up until they talk about luke skywalker yeah but even then he's not worried about it he's like oh they're just looking for luke they're not looking for me (laughs) i don't know
1: yeah that was kind of an interesting scene um really the only other thing that i had in my notes was we got that new planet pamba is that how it was pronounced in the audiobook pamba 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 it's the planet where they find Nockman at the end.
2: Mmm. I don't remember how it was said. Sorry.
1: Okay. P-A-M apostrophe B-A. And uh, basically the only thing that I wrote in my notes is that it reminded me of Florida.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Wet, rainy Yeah. Retired Human. people.
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Nothing against anyone in Florida, but it was basically, (laughs) it was like Star Wars Florida, I feel like.
2: Makes sense. Yeah. With population one.
0: Population (laughs) one plus, you know, a thousand itchy bugs. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Great.
1: But, hey, Disney World's in Florida, so there are are good things. Fair. (laughs) Um, Any final thoughts from you two on Force Collector? Why do you guys think that this was part of the Rise of Skywalker, Journey to the Rise of Skywalker? Just from the medals and the mention of Kijimi, or like what what made this part of Journey to the Rise of Skywalker?
0: I think the Easter eggs, and I'm wondering if it wouldn't open a door later on for there to be a second book, or um, not even maybe centered around Carr, but having mention of him later continuing to... Um, house, all of the memories and the information
2: on the Jedi. Yeah, I agree. I think it was like a really good recap for people of the history and you know, all of the most important parts of the timeline, um, to kind of tell people where we're at, um, coming into rise of Skywalker and Mm -hmm. how the, the climate of the general population is surrounding what's going on. Um, as well as just seeing, you know, different force abilities and getting to follow the journey of someone who's I mean, we've gotten to follow a lot of journeys now of people who got like left behind in the wake of the of the Jedi Order. So I'm, I'm totally in agreement with Amanda that this I mean, I've been saying this for a long time, that all these kids popping up in all these books and, you know, various corners of the Star Wars universe, Broom Boy, (laughs) there's there's a reason that they're all coming up now and that they're all being brought to our attention now. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like they're the they're the future. They're they're what's coming for Star Wars. We have to build something from all of this, even if it's not a Jedi order, per se. I'd love for him to be. The new Jacosta, new Force <laughs> Educator in a new order. Be yes. Cool.
1: All right. Well, do you guys have any final thoughts on anything before we get into one of our listeners'
0: thoughts? I want to know how Doc got 3PO's arm. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: and why my own so
0: thought. Nice?
2: <laughs> he was so nice, and I feel like in... Um, Black Spire he was kind of like a Grumpy old man <laughs> A crime boss yeah <laughs> And he was like super nice in this one Which which made me happy
1: Yeah Well you get to see him when you go to Galaxy's Edge He literally like he's behind Like counting all his money Behind oh, nice. like a fence Yeah <laughs> So that was pretty cool And we know that Doc Ondar pretty much can get whatever he wants As far as artifacts
0: this is true.
1: Who knows how that happens. <laughs> but All right, let's go into... We had one response of someone that wanted their responses shared on the podcast. So uh, this is from Connie. She loved how the book explored a different type of Force user. Carmaine may never trained to be a Jedi, but I can see his special place in the Force world. Archiving the Jedi's past and having the ability to see past through visions... It preserves the legacy of the Jedi and brings hope to the future for others. She loved that the book took us to some familiar planets and visited with folks we know from the movies, and we heard through his visions like the voices of Obi-Wan, Tian Medan. Um, she squealed with the light reading about Carr's visit with Maz, who knew the Jedi were interred under the castle, and she had 3PO's arm. She said the best part of this book for her was Maz's revelation through Carr that the medal she got from Han was Luke's and how she had been tricked by Han. Then in episode 9, she gave it to Chewbacca. Love that. Last nugget that was good was hearing more about Sifo-Dyas through Carr's vision. Didn't really give us answers, but gave us more pieces to that puzzle, especially after reading Dooku. So thank you, Connie, for um, contributing and, and submitting your your thoughts. And as always, we will be... You know, taking people's thoughts. If you want your thoughts from uh, some of the books that we're doing in book club here, please just uh, shoot us a, a DM at the uh, at the Twin Sons Outpost, either on Twitter, uh, Facebook, or Instagram. Uh, you can also, if you are friends with either me, Amanda, or Jesse, you can uh, shoot us a message on our private pages as well, um, and we'll be happy to share those. Amanda, we are not, we don't have a book yet for February, but by the time this is released, we probably will. Um, But what are the three options right now, just in case it's not out by, actually, I don't know. This will probably be out on Friday, so that'll be after, yeah, we'll we'll have a book already. So what are our three choices?
0: All right, and the three options for our book of the month... For February are Queen's Shadow by E.K. Johnson, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, A Crash of Fate by Zeradia Cordova, or Alphabet Squadron by Alexander Freed. So, right. yeah. by the and end of last, the week, we'll have one of those.
1: Yeah, and last I checked, uh, I think it was a three-way tie between all three books. So it seems like we've got some good ones here. We've got a divided membership base, so uh, hopefully someone, Amanda, who has not voted yet, will (laughs) break that tie.
0: I just like to wait just in case I need to break a tie.
1: If you know what you want to read, then what's it matter?
0: Because I'm not sure yet.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I want to read them all.
0: Yes! (laughs) That's the problem.
1: All right. Well, we've got some great books coming out, um, including some more Thrawn um later this year so it'll be very exciting and we would love to have each and every single one of you guys join our book club uh, amanda where can people participate with the book club
0: they can participate with the book club on facebook at the tso book club open facebook group
1: all right and we have discussion questions on there all the time um, we have i think it's usually like three discussion questions every week for that week's reading and, you know, we've got some good discussions going uh, on all our books. Um, for the month of January, we are doing some giveaways. So uh, if by the end of the month you want to submit some of your own discussion questions, they can be on any of the books that we've read. Um, if you have a question on whether or not our, that a certain book has been covered, you can always just message us. Um, but any of the books that we've read since the beginning of our book club, will be um, eligible if you want to submit your own discussion question to win a prize at the end of the month and we'll give that away and like i said for the month of february it's still to be determined for our book um so hopefully we'll get one that you guys are into jesse before we go where can people find us on social media
2: you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram all under the same handle at twin suns outpost
1: Alright, and if you're looking for places to listen to our podcast, we have Twin Suns Transmission, which is the show that Jesse and I do discussing all Star Wars news. You can find us on the website, our website, which is www.twinsonsoutpost.com. Click on the podcast tab on the left-hand side, you'll find all of our episodes there. You can also find us on the Star Wars podcast app through the Google Play Store and on iTunes.
2: And if you enjoyed this episode and you think we're pretty wizard, you can go ahead and leave us a good review on iTunes.
1: Thank you so much for listening to the Twin Sons Outpost Book Club, where we discussed Force Collector by Kevin Shinnick as a part of the journey to the rise of Skywalker. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. And as always, may the Force be with you.
0: Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Twin Sons Podcast Network. May the force be with you. Air Master, Tatooine. It's controlled by the hut.
1: rendezvous point on Halloween.
2: This guy's doing murder to me okay?